welcome to the Session Zero for Season 3 of The Lone Adventurer, an actual play solo RPG podcast with me, Carl White. I will be your narrator, your game master, and your guide on this journey into the unknown. In Season 1, I used 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons alongside the Mythic GM emulator to support a theme of heroic solo adventure against seemingly insurmountable if I'm honest, eminently mountable odds. In Season 2, I switched to the Blades in the Dark RPG, plus a number of add-on tools including Alone in the Dark. Leaning into that game system's perfect synergy with tales of sneaky shenanigans and harebrained heists, creating a crew of scoundrels who were then forced to navigate the perilous underbelly and intrigues of the city of Kairos. But for this season, that focus is going to change a bit. I don't plan on this season being about dungeon crawls or urban criminal intrigue. I've got another idea in mind, and it's an idea that warrants a game system well suited to the task. Before we get into the specifics, let's pause for a moment and examine that concept. Typically, before playing a game, groups of RPG players sit down and agree upon a game system – and then play together using that system until their story is done, or the campaign is over, or scheduling or other issues cause everything to grind to a painful, dissatisfying halt. Similarly, with solo RPGs, it is pretty common to pick your RPG weapon of choice and then stick with that choice until you finish your tale or run out of inspiration or motivational juice. But over the course of making this podcast, as well as listening to a few others, I have become a big fan of another approach. The mapping of a particular story arc to a rule set that supports the exact theme and goals of that arc. Because, and I can't overstate this enough, no one RPG is good at everything. Put another way, different RPGs have particular affinities, and it is generally a very good idea to match what you are trying to achieve in your game with a rule set that is particularly good at supporting that outcome. Now, there are plenty of RPGs out there that market themselves as universal systems. For years, everything was some sort of variant of the D20 system, and these days 5e and a variety of offshoots and clones seem damn near ubiquitous. Savage Worlds has pulp, fantasy, superhero, sci-fi variants and more. I suspect GURPS is the planet's single largest contributor to deforestation in its pursuit of universal splatbook coverage. And then there's Cortex and Cypher and so on and so on. These are all systems that claim universality. They can turn their hand to any genre, no matter how niche or how obscure, with consummate ease. Ergo, universal systems. Pick one, and never worry about finding a new system again. Just plug in the appropriate setting books. But for me, the point is, the genre is not the point. No matter whether you're playing a game about genetically enhanced power marines in a far future total war, or a diminutive fellowship of plucky, hairy-footed folk intent on melting jewellery, or Captain Mannering, leading a hapless home guard squad in a desperate rearguard action against Dagon's invading Deep Ones on the Sussex coast. Here's the rub. If you're playing that game using GURPS or D&D or Savage Worlds, well, guess what? It will feel like a game of GURPS or D&D or Savage Worlds. Because regardless of the genre you're playing, each of these games feels distinct, unique, 
like themselves. And now, that is not necessarily a bad thing. These are all great and enjoyable games, each with their own niche. But it's important to understand going in that the ability to adapt to any genre does not mean the ability to adapt to any feel, to any narrative form. And for me, feel and form are what matters in a game. I think it's important to ask the question going in, what is the desired feel and form of this game? And then, having decided that, to pick a game that supports those goals. Of course, the game also has to support the genre too, which can make selection a bit trickier. But let's face it, at this point, there is no shortage of games out there to pick from. Could I run this new season of the game in 5e? Well, sure. It's a moderately versatile system, but would the rule set be a great match for the story I'm trying to tell? Well, no, not particularly. Try as I might, the game mechanics would like as not drag me back into a story about high action and adventure. At the very least, they wouldn't directly support the type of story I was trying to tell. Could I run it in Blades in the Dark? Probably not. In fact, almost certainly not. Not without a huge amount of tinkering with the levers and dials that make Blades the game it is. Powered by the Apocalypse games and their derivatives tend to be much more closely dialed in to their particular feel and setting. Bottom line, there are a lot of tools in the toolbox. Every problem is not a nail, and so there is no need to keep on using that hammer. All of this is a long-winded and roundabout way of coming to this point. Season 3 is not going to be about heroic combat or shady urban intrigue, it's going to be about travel and exploration. Which means I need a game with mechanics that specifically support that style of game. What I need is Ironsworn, Starforged. Actually, what I really need is the Sundered Isles setting supplement for Starforged, which is dialed in specifically to tales of seafaring adventure. But it's flexible enough to accommodate a world where the sea is a bottomless ether and the sailing ships are skyships. There is just one small problem. Sundered Isles doesn't exist yet. Its creator, the wonderfully talented Sean Tomkin, is still hard at work designing it, and so I, just like every other eager soul desperate for its arrival, will just have to wait. But not to worry. Just as I did with the default Blades in the Dark setting, it's a fairly easy task to reskin the default Deep Space, Star Wars meets Alien meets Firefly world of Starforged into my own Chained World setting. And I can always retrofit aspects of the Sundered World supplement once it arrives. Now, I have to say, I've massively enjoyed playing Season 2. As I mentioned back in Season 2 Session 0, I had all sorts of concerns about my ability to grok Blades in the Dark as a rule system. But, as Logan Ninefingers always says, better to do a thing than live with the fear of it. And so I took the plunge, and I'm delighted that I did. Blades did exactly what it said on the tin. It gave me a set of rules from which emerged heists and low-life hijinks, and all manner of devious mischief in a world of variegated greys. Just what I was after. I was incredibly happy with the way that the story evolved, and the places that my rules and tools took me into the seamy underbelly of Kairos. And I loved the whole thing of start with a bunch of resources, do really cool things by burning those resources, 
then run into more and more difficulty as those resources start to run out and you still have stuff left to do. That mechanic made the characters look competent and baked in a lot of tension as their capers reached a climax. Very clever game design. But I'd be lying if I said I didn't have some reservations. I found I had to take what I wanted from Blades and discard what I didn't, just as I had done with D&D. Even after understanding enough of the core game mechanics to make it do roughly what I wanted, I did find some of the subsystems a bit bolted on, a bit distracting and fiddly. A number of them I just ignored completely or hand-waved away, and after going round the gameplay loop of free play, engagement role, score and downtime a few times, I did start to find that structure a little repetitive and even, as my story developed, restrictive. Now, fair's fair, I am no expert at this game, and I don't think I've necessarily played it particularly optimally, or even well. I suspect old hands at Blades may have rolled their eyes at some of my efforts, and frankly I don't blame them. It's easy to fall into suboptimal patterns of play in any game as a result of groupthink, and when you're playing solo, well, it's nothing but groupthink. There's no one there to challenge your assumptions of what good looks like but you. At the end of the day, all you can do is play the game your way, for good or ill. But there is another lesson I think came out of Season 2, though I'm not sure I've fully learned how to apply that learning yet. In Season 1, it was all Mina, with Cadmus and, to a much lesser extent, Barbican as sidekicks. That helped focus the game in one place, and allowed me to inhabit a single character as the story emerged around her. That really helped when starting the campaign, but it did keep the focus quite narrow. Everything happened from a single point of view. Season 2 changed that up. I created an entire party of PCs, and I played all of them. That felt much more satisfying from a storytelling perspective. I could view the world from more perspectives. I could juggle a whole bunch of characters, exploring their inner lives and their interactions. And that was a lot of fun. It was also, mechanically and operationally, quite a lot of hard work. A lot of admin overhead, to the point where sometimes it distracted me and detracted from the fun of playing the game. Now, the discerning listener might well at this point come to the conclusion that I am just a perpetual whinger. Never bloody satisfied. Not so much wanting my cake and eating it as bellyaching no matter what I'm eating. And I'd be hard-pressed to argue. As Hexiod said, and I'm paraphrasing here, moderation in all things. We'll ignore Smarty Pants Oscar Wilde's edition of including moderation. It feels like I've gone to two opposite ends of the spectrum in seasons one and two, and so for season three, I'm going to attempt to find the middle ground. Mechanically, I'm going to focus my game on a single character, Mina. She will get a star-forged character sheet, one with a good few assets added in to reflect her pretty experienced status. Her sidekicks will be reduced to assets. Mechanically, they'll just be incredibly simple add-ons to Mina's sheet. But I am also going to remain open to the possibility that, from time to time, the focus of my story may shift. That other characters may steal the narrative limelight, and that other stories may run in parallel to Mina's. And if that does happen, I'll even remain open to the possibility of running those parallel story threads using a completely different game system, depending on the nature of those stories. 
On the tool front, having invested so much time into my perchance automated event generator, I want to continue experimenting with that tool, iterating on what I've built and gradually evolving it over time. And so that stays. And I plan to use a fantastic additional resource for Starforged, an online tool called Stargazer, which is a sort of combination of character sheet, game mechanics automator, and campaign manager. So here is what I know going in. This season's story arc is going to switch the focus back to Mina Montessario, along with her companions, at least to begin with. It's going to involve travel, away from the city of Kairos and into the uncharted perils that exist out beyond the comparatively safe routes of the world chains. There's going to be a big, hairy, challenging goal that Mina is slowly going to be moving towards, though we are bound to be hit by distractions, derailments and deviations along the way. And... Although Starforged is a self-contained, built-for-solo game that doesn't need any additional tools such as Mythic, I do plan to use my automated perchance oracle alongside the core Starforged rules. If I decide I want to introduce external story threads, or if an oracle nudges me down that path, I will, and I am likely to run parallel game systems for those threads if the story warrants it. And really, that's about it. The rest will emerge from play as I go. Honestly, I cannot wait to find out what happens. I hope you'll join me. You have been listening to The Lone Adventurer, a solo RPG podcast played, written, and performed by me, Carl White. If you've enjoyed this episode please consider telling your friends about it or leaving a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. It really is a huge help. You can find me on Twitter at TheLoneADV. You can email me at TheLoneADV at gmail.com or follow my blog at carlillustration.wordpress.com. You can find show notes for this episode and all the others at theloneadventurer.podbean.com where I include any links mentioned in the episode, as well as mechanics information. I also include a link to a full episode transcript. The story will continue in the next episode of The Lone Adventurer. Thank you for listening.